Hi, welcome to the Trika Yoga Book Club. Um, we did a little survey on our Instagram to ask if you guys would like us to sort of do a little podcast-ish type of thing, <laughs> reading out books that we um, find really inspiring just to delve a little bit deeper into the philosophy of the yoga practice and also some practical things that, you know, come from amazing books that have been written. We can understand that not everyone um, has uh, sort of the privilege to sit down with a book sometimes and we know everyone's got really busy lives. Um, so I think the idea was really born out of, yeah, helping you sort of read, audio read um, the books along with us, uh, just, you know, while you're cooking or it's quite nice maybe while you're taking a run, practicing and to just have uh, someone read the books to you. I find, uh, personally, it's quite a nice way uh, to kind of let your mind wander on slightly different topics um, as well. And just, you know, even if it's passive listening, it's quite nice to, yeah, have little gems uh, in your ear or however you're listening to this podcast-ish. <laughs> so let's dive into it. Um, it's it's quite a thick book. Um, we're going to start reading um, oh, before we begin, hi, I'm Charlene. Uh, I own Trika Yoga. And yeah, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for being part of our journey over the past three and a bit years that we've been open and as we navigate this time um, of, of lockdown and slight uncertainty about you know, um, just our lives in general. I'm sure everyone's feeling uh, what um, I've seen um, on the on the socials and on the news called the Corona Coaster. The Corona Coaster is real, so you are not alone in this. Um, and so, reading uh, for me personally, I, I find can really pull me out of my myself a little bit in a, in a really good way. It helps, you know, me just just focus on something more positive or something different uh, sometimes and this is really helpful. All right so the book we're going to start diving into is one I've been reading and rereading and it's it's just a wonderful book that really comes from the heart and it explains everything in really nice depth and um, has lots of philosophy, but also really quite practical in a really easy way to understand. So it's called The Heart of Yoga by T.K.V. Desikachar. And the subtitle is Developing a Personal Practice. So today we're actually not really even going to get into the first chapter, but we'll start um, with the foreword, which has a really good interview that has, again, lots and lots of gems. So I don't want this um, to end up being too long so we're going to maybe do um, half the interview and then you know with the second episode we'll keep delving into the other half before we move on chapter by chapter which which I might break up as well as uh, some of them are quite long. So we'll start uh, in the beginning on the first little bit after you know the contents and lots of pictures is a blessing. Uh, by Indra Devi. This book, written by Sri Desikachar, is an invaluable source of information regarding the theory and practice of yoga. It is a must for students and teachers alike. 
Sri Desikatra, himself a teacher par excellence, follows the yoga lineage of his father, Sri Krishnamacharya, one of the best yoga teachers of his time. It was my good fortune to be accepted by Sri Krishnamacharya into his class, where I was not only the lone foreigner, but was also the only woman. May this book serve as a guide and inspiration for all of the generations of yoga enthusiasts to come. With blessings, light and love from the heart of Indra Devi. And that's lovely and I think that just says so much about um, the types of teachers uh, Krishnamacharya and Desikasha was. And now to the foreword by Vanda Scaravelli. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to write about Sri Desikachar, an exceptional yoga teacher, and it is with great pleasure that I write these few words to underline the importance of Sri Desikachar's teaching. What a nice person Desikachar is. One feels attracted to him. To be with him is a pleasure. His simplicity is one of the exceptional characteristics of his personality. He does not pretend in any way. In today's world, it is refreshing to meet someone who knows so much and yet is so modest. Humility, from which simplicity follows, is a very precious quality. Desikachar is one of those few people who truly lives this quality. The years Desikachar spent at university attaining his engineering degree have not been an impediment. On the contrary, once I asked what helped him most in the work he does now, he replied, my engineering studies. It is likely that such training simulated his sparkling intelligence, which later gave him the ability to transmit his teaching with clarity and precision. When Desikachar speaks, he expresses himself in a natural and easy way, in a language that, that each one of us can understand and follow. He walks toward you with a light step, and his delightful smile lets you know that his heart is open. I received a precious gift one day when he chanted for me and my friends. His clear sounds had a delicate and yet powerful flow, following the rhythm that arose from his lovely voice. The enchanting atmosphere created by the vibrations of that sound filled the room and remained a long time after he left. Desikachar helps us realize that what is essential in the practice of yoga is the breath, because each pose, each movement originates from there. This balanced union brings harmony and order to our bodies and minds. The way he can communicate these very special yoga teachings is extraordinary. He has great respect for the subject and for the person to whom he is conveying his knowledge. He does not push you, but very gently leads you to the door that eventually and unexpectedly may open to let you in. Vanda Scaravelli from Florence, Italy. And um, I sort of agree uh, reading, you know, getting getting into this book and reading a bit more about it. Like I said in the beginning, it's very clear and also it's uh, it's very touching in uh, in its simplicity and the, and the way it's detailed out. Okay, so let's kind of start with the interview that I was talking about. Um, this chapter is entitled The Life and Yoga of Sri T. Krishnamacharya, Tiru Malai. And um, Krishnamacharya is Desikachar's father. Tiru Malai Krishnamacharya was born on November the 18th, 1888 
in a village state of Mysore, South India. He was born into a family that traces its roots back to the famous 9th century South Indian sage Nathamuni, author of the Yoga Rahasya and the first teacher in the line of Vaishnava Gurus. Krishnamacharya received his first instruction in Sanskrit and yoga from his father before becoming a pupil at the Brahmatantra Parakalamut in Mysore, one of the best known and most respected Brahmin schools. Enrolled at the age of 12, he studied the Vedic texts and learned the Vedic rituals while simultaneously attending the Royal College of Mysore. At the age of 18, he moved to Banaras, where he studied Sanskrit, logic, and grammar at the university. Back in Mysore, he received a thorough grounding in the philosophy of the Vedanta from Sri Krishna Brahmatantra Swami, the director of the Parakalamut. Then he went north again to study, study the Samkhya, India's oldest philosophical system and the one on which yoga is fundamentally based. In 1916, he went to the Himalayas, where at the foot of Mount Kailash, he met his teacher, Sri Rama Mohan Brahmachari, a learned yogi who was living with his family near Lake Manasarovar in Tibet. Krishnamacharya spent more than seven years with this teacher, who exercised considerable influence over the direction he took in life, giving him the great task of spreading the message of yoga and using his abilities as a healer and helper of sick people. Consequently, Sri Krishnamacharya did not embark upon an academic career, but returned to the south where he studied Ayurveda, the traditional Indian healing system, as well as the philosophy of Nyaya, a Vedic school of logic recognized for its tools of inquiry and emphasis on discrimination gained by valid knowledge. In 1924, he returned to Mysore, where the Raja, a progressive ruler, gave him the opportunity to open a yoga school. The Raja himself was one of Krishnamacharya's most enthusiastic students. And from 1933 to 55. Krishnamacharya taught yoga at the school and wrote his first book, Yoga Makarandam, which means Secrets of Yoga. By this time, his reputation was spreading throughout South India and beyond. Krishnamacharya's first Western students came to study with him in 1937. Indra Devi was among them. B.K.S. Ayanga, who was to become Krishnamacharya's brother-in-law, received his first yoga instruction with the acclaimed teacher. In 39 and 40, Krishnamacharya was visited by a French medical team who wanted to verify that, a, that an experienced yogi could deliberately stop his heartbeat. For Sri Krishnamacharya, this much-marvelled-at examination was a rather bothersome demonstration, one that he undertook out of feeling responsible to validate yoga in the eyes of the sceptical scientific world. Soon, Krishnamacharya's interest and work turned toward treating the sick using Ayurveda and yoga as healing agents. He became increasingly well-known and in 52 was summoned to Madras to treat a popular politician who had suffered a heart attack. Finally, he settled in Madras with his family. As well as his Indian students, more Westerners came to Madras to study. Gerard Blitz, 
who brought these teachings to Europe, was one of the first to seek out Krishnamacharya, as was Jean Klein, the Advaita teacher. In 76, TKV Desikachar, Krishnamacharya's son and one of his closest disciples, founded the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandiram, an institution where yoga is used to trick sick people, treat sick people, and it's taught both to Indian and foreign students. Sri Krishnamacharya was teaching and inspiring those around him until six weeks prior to his death in 1989. And so we now come into the question and answer section. Let's kind of see. Maybe we'll sort of read through um, the th first three questions just to, you know, not overload our minds with um, too much to think about. Um, but a nice, nice little amount for today. First question was... As both son and student of Krishnamacharya, you must have been one of the people closest to him and one of those who knew him best. Can you please tell us something about Krishnamacharya, the Sanskrit scholar, healer, and yogi? And so these are questions to Desikachar, Krishnamacharya's son. Answer. The foremost reason my father became a scholar of Sanskrit was because of his family tradition. In the old days, people like my father's forebears were well known as advisors, even to the kings. Nowadays, we would call my father's grandfather something like prime minister, for example. But at that time, the position of prime minister was not a political one in the way that we now know it. He was rather an advisor who told the rulers what was right and what was wrong. For this purpose, these scholars naturally studied the old texts, which are all written in Sanskrit. So at that time, it was perfectly normal for someone who grew up in the milieu in which my father did to become versed in Sanskrit. It was the language of these circles, just as today English is the language of technology. In his formal education, he had to learn Sanskrit well enough to be able to read and study the classic texts that describe the branches of the Vedas. Yoga is just one of those branches, but my father developed a special interest in yoga because his family was historically involved with yoga. One of his ancestors was the famous yogi Nathamuni. The interest in yoga is like a thread going right through the history of this family, and my father simply picked it up. His first teacher was his own father. He pursued this interest further when he studied with great masters in the north of India, and he found his own special teacher, Rama Mohan Brahmachari, in the region of Lake Manasarovar in the Himalayas. Krishnamacharya stayed with his teacher for nearly eight years. Rama Mohan Brahmachari instructed him in the Yoga Sutra and taught him how to help the sick by means of yoga. Much of what is seen as the uniqueness of my father's work comes from this teacher. It is normal for someone with a family tradition like this to become a great Sanskrit scholar and to be versed in the literature and religion given to us in the Vedas. But because his teacher said to him, you must spread the message of yoga, Krishnamacharya decided to become a yoga teacher. He turned down many offers of professorships in Sanskrit, in logic, in Vedanta, and other subjects. 
he immersed himself in everything he had been taught and finally became a guru. It was no easy matter. Indeed, there were inner struggles for him, but he did it. Another important point was that, though his interest in religion, especially his own tradition of the Vaishnava, Krishnamachar came across the teachings of some of the great yogis of South India. These people are called Alvar, which means someone who has come to us to rule. Alvar directed the minds of other people and are regarded as an incarnation of God. Their greatness is bestowed upon them as babies, and many of them are not from Brahmin families, but sometimes come from simple peasant families. They're born into the world as extraordinary people. Sri Krishnamacharya studied the writings of these masters, which are in our language of Tamil, and so discovered the meaning of yoga as it is understood in the south of India. This is how he could combine the great teachings from the north, learn from his teacher in the Himalayas, with the great teachings of the south, which come from our Tamil masters, the Alvar. And second question, was it required at that time that someone taking this path should go to the Himalayas and live there with a master? And the answer, no, this was Krishnamacharya's personal decision. He decided that he wanted to learn everything about the Vedic darshanas, which is the various systems of Indian thought, because some of his views were not accepted by his teachers. When he was attending lectures on Samkhya and Mimamsa in Mysore, he vowed he would go to the best universities in India and learn all there was to learn about the various schools of Indian thought. In those days, the best place for studying the, these was Kashi, now known as Varanasi or Banaras, so he went there. He was lucky to have the opportunity to go there because the teachers there recognized his special abilities. It was in Banaras where Krishnamacharya met a teacher named Ganganathja who recommended he go to a great yoga teacher in the north. And that is how he went to Tibet. It was not a requirement, but instead almost chance. And third question. And the healer, Krishnamacharya? For most people, yoga is purely a spiritual discipline. But it's clear that for my father, yoga included other things as well. One of the biographies written about him relates how he was concerned with the sick, even as a student. My father himself told me that once he was asked to come to the British governor who suffered from diabetes. My father was able to help him, then left to continue his studies in the north at Mount Kailash. The ability to heal must have come from his own background. Probably it was his father who first gave him tips on how to treat diabetes and other illnesses. For in Natha Muni's Yoga Rahasya, we find many remarks about the use of yoga in the treatment of sick people. Illness is an obstacle on the road to spiritual enlightenment. That is why you have to do something about it. There are many ways of treating sickness through yoga. Sometimes a mantra is needed, sometimes a change of diet, sometimes certain asanas, and sometimes pranayama. Probably Krishnamacharya had heard about all of this early in life and wanted to learn more about it. It became clear to him that if he wanted to learn more about healing, 
he would have to learn about Ayurveda. So he went to a well-known teacher named Krishna Kumar in Bengal and stayed with him in order to learn Ayurveda. Eventually, as well as knowing Nathamuni's teachings about how to use yoga to promote good health, my father had the knowledge of Ayurveda at his fingertips. This is how he knew the importance of the pulse for giving information about a person's condition. He learned this from masters as well as by studying the old texts on the subject. Krishnamacharya always took the pulse of anyone who came to him. One of the first things he taught me was how to take someone's pulse. Being able to diagnose a condition through taking the pulse and using Ayurveda and Nathamuni's logic health system were the means Krishnamacharya used when he gave advice on the physical, mental and spiritual wellness. So it is not surprising that he sometimes performed real miracles. Let's actually, uh, you guys, let's read two more questions. I know I said three, but the next, um, the next two are really quite, quite interesting. So, what makes Krishnamacharya's yoga so unique? What my father's yoga teachings. What makes my father's yoga teachings unique is, is his, his insistence on attending to each individual and to his or her uniqueness. If we respect each, other, each person individually, it naturally means we will always start from where each person currently is. The starting point is never the teacher's needs, but those of the student. This requires many different approaches. There is not just one approach for everybody. The way yoga is taught nowadays often gives the impression that there is one solution to everyone's problems and one treatment for every illness. But yoga affects the mind primarily, and each person's mind is different. Indeed, the culture and background of each person is different as well. In every case, my father chose what seemed necessary and useful. Sometimes it might be asanas, sometimes it was a prayer. Sometimes he even told people to stop a certain yoga practice, then the healing occurred. There are many stories I could tell, all of which show the necessity for an individual approach to yoga. By this I do not mean that I have to give only private lessons, but I must create an atmosphere in my classes in which each student can find his or her own way to yoga. I have to realize that each of my students is not the same person today as they were yesterday, and not at all the same as when they came last week, perhaps with similar questions. This is the most important message my father passed on, and it is essentially the opposite of what is currently being taught in most places. So just a little segue uh, from, from me um, about this little paragraph and this answer. 100%. You know, like, I personally completely, totally agree. Um, the yoga practice is so unique to each person. Um, it, completely, completely. And, on, and eat, even for then each person varies from day to day. And I think this is a good lesson, like whether you're a teacher or you practice yoga, whether you're starting your practice or like real deep into it, this is a really good reminder. 
you know, to not beat yourself up about if your practice changes um, or why is it that one day, like, it's you find it really difficult to do maybe what you did yesterday or the or the week before and give ourselves um, some understanding. Let's say if we're talking about the context of it in our personal practice at home, just some understanding towards ourselves that our situations and our mind is changing all the time and to really cut yourself some slack. And for teachers, completely, you know, understanding one way of even approaching, let's say, asana practice will totally be different for every single person, every single different day, different time in life, different um, different time in the world. And this this all sort of affects everybody very differently as well. And so there's lots of factors to to consider. And I think Again, just making sure, you know, the, the approach that we're presenting as yoga teachers is something inclusive and takes into account, obviously we, we can't like quite specifically take into account all the different situations for everyone, but to create an environment where people feel very free. And I think as a studio, um, that's, that's always been something very important to us, um, you know, the yoga practice is about you and your mind and where you're at and I encourage you guys that practice at home again to really consider this and take into account your situation your mind you know your the state of your mind the state of your body and best to choose what is suitable for you at that particular time even the time you practice at that exact moment what do you need what do the people around you need? And have that as a consideration for your practice. Sorry, a little waffle there. <laughs> Let me keep going on the answer um, in the book. Doo -doo -doo. The essence of my father's teachings is this. It is not that the person needs to accommodate to him or herself to yoga, but rather the yoga practice must be tailored to fit each person. 100%. That, sorry, that 100% is in the book. <laughs> I'm just like the hype man reading, reading the book out. I would even go so far as to say that this is what makes my father's approach different from most of the others around today, where everything is well organized and you have to fit into a certain structure. With Krishnamacharya's yoga, there is no organization and the individual must find her or his own structure. This implies that progress on the path of yoga means different things for different people. Yes, we must not obstruct this progress by deliberately setting certain goals. Yoga serves the individual and does so through inviting transformation rather than by giving information. These are two very different things. For instance, this book gives information about various topics, but in order to bring about transformation, I would explain each topic in a different way to each person. Sorry guys, this, this part is so key. You know, it's so key <laughs> for learning kind of little, little differences in how people uh, are ready to accept information, um, are ready to uh, be... Um, on the path of their own transformation and 
as teachers, it is is quite vital. That's why it's so good to read and keep studying books from various different sources. You know, not just yogic texts, but also being open to explore our minds and explore our knowledge through lots of different creative uh, ways, lots of different books, lots of different areas in our lives um, to, to, to keep, um, keep ourselves um, kind of open to receiving knowledge and to also understand different facets of life so we can empathize and, and you know, see ourselves in people that might be very different to us and you know have have ourselves kind of a kind of be, that ability to understand each other uh that uh wh- whether people might be you know just quite naturally different from you in terms of thinking in terms of life and it's really good to stay knowledgeable and open to more knowledge and more things so transformation can occur all right, let me, a little waffle there again, let me continue. <laughs> um, my father taught us more ways to approach a person in yoga than I have found anywhere else. Who should teach whom, when, and what? These are the important questions to be asked in beginning a practice. But underlying all these is the most important question of all. How can the power of breath be utilised? That is something quite exceptional. Nowhere else is the breath given so much importance and our work has proven that the breath is a wonder drug, if I may use this term. So I think actually, I know I said I'd read two more questions, but I might stop there because the next question kind of is a nice like little section, you know, about mantras, uh, breathing, sequencing, asana importance and that's kind of a nice little second topic and I think it's quite nice to maybe end on this last question which had so many little gems um, I don't know if for you but for me for sure you know in in and again the, the fact that you know yoga and yoga and action is is about other people it's about um, our community it's about our families it's about the people we meet that we don't know it's about everyone else and how we um, and how I've, I've interpreted this maybe it might be different for you but you know how we um, learn to understand each other and how to communicate with each other um, so I'm going to leave it at that. This is this is really such a nice interview, and it's quite long before even the first chapter of the book starts. But I think it it it's got so so much nice history um, and con- content uh, that that there'll be so much to so much gems to sort of mine and and pick out from this. So yeah, thank you for joining us on this like first little read. Um, we will, I, I will probably continue the whole book. It's, uh, some parts are maybe a little bit more difficult to read through um, because uh, it's a bit more like like uh, physical and practical. So we'll just see how it goes as, as the book goes on. Um, 
again, like if you then now, you know, think this is a great book and you prefer to take it in with your eyes reading, I highly recommend uh, you go and buy it. It's TKV, Desika Cha, The Heart of Yoga. Um, but if not, we'll definitely keep this going. Um, this is our first one. So currently, I don't know how often we'll be um, doing these. Uh, for, for the moment, let's aim for once a week. Um, but it, it could be more frequent than that. Uh, yeah, so thanks again for joining us. Um, we hope that, you know, this this will be kind of a nice maybe bedtime, uh, snooze time, lull to sleep. Or, well, again, like in your own free time or maybe during your meditation, just for something to ponder upon. Um, all right. Have a nice day, nice evening, whenever you hear this. And join me for the next episode of the Trika Yoga Book Club. Cool. Peace, guys. Take care. Bye-bye for now.